0: And this is how I had stumbled into almost everything I had done. I I didn't know I was a publisher until I was congratulated on Facebook by a marketing guru out in California said, go, congratulations to the Cheerful Word for their first Amazon bestseller. And I said, wait a minute, what?
1: Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi, friends. Welcome back. And if you're new to the show, this is where we talk about growing our business as life story professionals, helping clients write and record their life story and other legacy projects for their family and friends and for their descendants. Today, Sam Yule is joining us all the way from Germany. I'm so excited. I I love Germany. (laughs) Sam is the owner of The Cheerful Word, where she helps produce extraordinary memoirs for everyday people. I love that tagline. But like the rest of us, she didn't start out in this profession. She's done everything from public relations to training and development, to medical editing, to business consulting, and probably some more stuff in there. Um, And that is part of the reason that I've been so eager to talk to her, because Sam strikes me as someone who has this really good balance of you know having good business sense and being the kind of person that you want to sit down over a cup of coffee with and talk about the big stories in your life? Um, and I know this not because I know Sam, but because I've been following her online for a while, um, and I've seen her do some really interesting things with the cheerful word, um, some interesting offerings of both products and services. um, And she's pivoted a bit. One of the things that I'm eager to talk about is um, the fact that she had a brick and mortar life story studio. And that's something that we're going to talk about today, along with a whole bunch of other things. So Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Amy. Well, I'm very pleased to have you. Um, why don't you start by telling the listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into this career as a life story professional?
0: Well, I think like most of us, uh, most of us stumble into it at one, one way or another. Uh, mine sort of came full circle. Um, I sort of started out listening to story at a very young age and came back to it many, many years later. And uh, as you said, I, I started out doing some of the typical things. I was in you know PR and training and development, and I even dabbled in medical editing for a while, which was very interesting, actually. Um, but growing up, uh, I literally grew up at the feet of elders. I was born to um, – my parents were a little bit older. They were in their 40s when they had me. And my mother was not going to give up her nursing career (laughs) for me. Mm -hmm. She gave up her career when she had the first two, uh, 12 and 11 years before, but not this time. So when the neighbor could not care for me, she just took me into work with her, which was at Castle Rest Nursing Home. And I sat at the feet of elders. And back in the days, in the early 60s, when kids were to be seen and not heard, I would just sit and I would stare at people until they started speaking. And they would start to tell me these great stories. You know, these mostly elderly and frail people had very sharp minds, most of them. And they would start to tell me about their lives. And I found them invariably much more interesting than my peers. At five and six, and even 10 and 11 years old, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, these folks had lives that I can't even imagine having. And this, you know, imagine it, before the advent of the cell phone, you know, that our kids now uh, talk about, you know, I can't imagine not having a cell phone. You know, this was just about, this was before television, before <clears throat> radio, before uh, Telephones for many of these people before the car. Um, they oh, were oh the
1: people telling their stories. Yeah, they their grew their up stories. in a time before
0: all that, right? They grew up in these times when uh, you know they were and, and things were happening that were far beyond me, and yet you know they would talk about these hardships that they had. A lot of them came from farming communities um, early in the industrial complex kind of things. They would work in. Um, you know, World War One, um, much less World War Two uh, era people, and they were telling me these stories, and I just was—I was hooked at it from a very young age. So um, that, combined with um, my parents having come into a little bit of money and buying a cottage up on the, in the Thousand Islands in on the Saint Lawrence River, that exposed me to all kinds of people from. Uh, writers and artists to business executives and hippies and you name it, musicians from all over the place. It was a great time to be a kid in the 60s and 70s. And I would just listen, uh, you know, it was sort of a fly on the wall thing, especially when you've got older parents, and they've already had their kids, and they're sort of comfortable with you just wandering around and taking care of yourself or letting all the other adults raise you, you listen to all of the stories going on in these rooms. And especially if you're a well-behaved kid, which I was, Mm -hmm. you would listen to what was happening at these endless wine and cheese parties, and you would learn about all of these things happening. And I thought, you know, all you have to do is ask one question and be genuinely interested in someone's life, and they will talk. And they will tell you really interesting stories. Now, heaven only knows if they were true or not, half of them, <laughs> because they, all they just wanted to do was make me laugh. But they made me laugh. They entertained me. And I thought, there's something to this. And as I got older, I started working in um, home health uh, just to stay near people and hear their stories. I just was really attracted to this. And um, I started writing little bits of stories down and leaving it at the end of the day uh, for the families to read. And I started learning as I was uh, staying longer and longer, you know, weeks and months with certain uh, clients, that their families had these big gaps in knowledge of their parents' lives. It was often that I was going to um, the home of an adult child and a parent was living with them. So I would go care for the parent in their home. And so I would hear these stories and write them down about, you know, their father playing basketball or their mother playing piano. And the adult kids knew nothing about this. And suddenly Mm -hmm. I was going back day after day, week after week, and seeing that I was helping this family make a connection with their parent that they hadn't made, in an entire lifetime, and I was seeing the value of this, and I thought I have to do something with this. So I thought someday I'm going to have a business, and I am going to tell these stories. <laughs> if it's the last <laughs> thing I do, and eventually, in 2009, I was able to launch the Cheerful Word, and it happened. And then, when I moved to Hendersonville in 20 was it 2013, I opened uh, the Life Stories Studio which was my dream come true. I thought, and by then I was a uh, part of APH. I had joined the year before and, um, and I thought, why not just be a center of the community where people can come and talk to one another? And that was my goal is to really become a, become a hub of the community to have this big space where people could not only come and record their stories uh, and write their stories in workshops and whatnot, but to meet one another. So I had all kinds of plans for this um, Life Story studio. And as life would have it, (laughs) I did not keep it for very long. I did have two of them. I had one on Main Street, and then I moved to a historic district and had a bigger studio. And then I I went and got a business partner and got in a little bit too much debt. Then I fell in love and moved to Germany (laughs) and ended up closing it which all happened probably in about six months in 20, what is it, 2018? That was 2016 when I left and I closed the doors. So it all sort of happened at the same time where I thought, okay, I need to scale back and rethink the business before I get in any more debt. But I still saw myself as successful. So it depends on how you define success. Uh, because right. in, the, in the meantime, I was still writing stories, recording stories. Um, you know, money was still coming in. I had plenty of clients, but um, I had just chosen poorly as far as a business
1: partner, and it set me back. Oh, right. And that's, you know, I, I I think I'm just fascinated by this idea. Well, for a few reasons, I'm fascinated with the idea of the studio, because um you know, as anybody in this profession knows, one of the biggest obstacles and, and, um, you know, it's an advantage and a disadvantage is that the, the wider public does not generally know that we exist. So our role in marketing ourselves is partly to educate the public to say, Hey, we're here, you have a need that we can help you with. Um, and the advantage of that is that, um, well, people get really excited because it's not something you know. It's not a commodity that they're often seeing. They're not having people knock on their door saying, "Hey, I'm a, I'm a life story professional. I can help you." Right. So usually they get excited when they hear that that yes, there is somebody who can help them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that um, the fact that it's not a well known profession, um, and then you went that really it's not even a step further than most life story professionals go you you took a leap forward by having a brick and mortar studio um, I'm, I'm thinking back to my childhood and my parents um, they my dad was in medical sales and we lived in Chicago but both sets of family were back in st. Louis and he was gone all of the time they did not like the lifestyle you know of having him be gone away and also us being Away from our relatives, so they just having no idea what they were doing. Uh, my father quit his job. We moved back to St. Louis, and they opened an ice cream parlor. So it was an old fashioned type ice cream parlor. You know, I was a soda jerk at the age of nine, um, <laughs> and that to me, you know, now as an adult, I look back on it and I think that took some bravery because they had never been. Um, I don't think either one of them have had ever even worked in the restaurant business. Um, they certainly had not been business owners, and they had certainly not had a retail place. Um, but everybody knew what an ice cream shop was, you know, they didn't have to sell the public on the idea of it, they just had to sell the ice cream, you know, they had to make it really great. But for you, you were starting something that nobody probably unless you know, maybe they were familiar with StoryCorps. Um, but in general, it seems like it was something that was Brand new the idea of going into this this storefront and having somebody help you with the life story. So, can you talk about that? Like, um, what was what were the difficulties and what were the, the the pleasures of doing this?
0: Well, some of the difficulties were, like you said, just becoming known. You know, what, so you know, what do you do, and who who are you? And um, so, you know, the what do you do became Easy to answer when i when I stopped referring to myself as a personal historian because people couldn 't identify with that I, I had to get past the point of trying to explain my title and i I began describing you know what do I do for you instead of who I am um, that overcame a lot uh, very quickly, so it was sort of my my initial elevator pitch was you know, I help people write their life stories. Oh, really? Like, what do you mean? I thought just like memoir? And I said, yes. And, you know, sometimes the first people will go either one extreme or the other. They'll say, well, I thought only rich people did that. Or they'll say, well, my life is so boring. I wouldn't have anything to say. They'll either go one extreme or the other, depending on their life experience um, or their, you know, their exposure. And, um, so it had, and the overcoming was, you know, this is for everyday people. This is for, for you and for me and, you know, that kind of thing. And they'll say, well, you know, give me an example. And so I thought, okay, what am I going to do right away? So, um, someone, as soon as I moved to Hendersonville in 2013, I, um, someone introduced me to the genealogical society and they invited me to teach free classes, which I taught probably three or four times, um, twice on site at their location, and then I started teaching at at a coffee shop down the street because it was more accessible for um, a lot of the people because it was um, they didn't have to walk up a lot of steps. Uh, and i was teaching so wait you,
1: when you when you say you taught three times it was uh, just one day workshops or it was a session of three it was a series of six courses
0: um, six sessions and i would teach things like um, you know what is memoir and um, you know how well, you know what is life story how do i write my life story um, and i would break it down into little pieces of Um, information like um, and I would break it and I started developing more and more because people kept coming and then people Mm -hmm. started bringing their friends and then the the, (laughs) these free courses got longer and longer until I finally had enough people coming to these that I felt comfortable offering a paid for um, series of courses um, on how to write your memoir and uh, yeah so I would teach you know like how to to teach a skeleton how to dance was one of my most popular classes because it was uh, content on how to deal with the difficult topics in your family. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, shaking out the family tree and seeing what falls out. Sometimes you just, you you don't really want to see that. You don't want to talk about it. And I talk about how do you talk about those difficult family stories. Um, When do you, how do you, and when do you leave them in the closet? Um, So people often came to that to, um, you know, get an idea of how to deal with difficult family stories. That was always fascinating. And how people in the same family would approach a story completely differently. Um, You know, people would bring their siblings to the (laughs) to a class, and two different siblings would say, I can't believe you were at the same Christmas party that I was because that is not at all what happened there, blah, 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 blah. And Oh, haven't we all heard that? Yes. We've all heard that, and that was part of the fun. I said this is why each person writes their own memoir uh, because you have very specific sets of memories, and you tell your story the way you, you see it and I honor your truth. This is what differentiates me from uh, some other people. I said, I don't do a lot of fact-checking. I said, this is your story the way you want to be remembered.
1: And I honor that. Um, one right. My- well, and there's there's the whole idea that um, of memory being a generative process, mm-hmm. and which I think is fascinating. Every time we take out, every time we retrieve a memory from our mind bank, um, it's being shaped, and it's being shaped to a large extent by our understanding of story, our, our sort of subconscious understanding of story. Um, so there is there is not and and I, I tell my people this too my clients you know don't worry about so much about getting the specific little facts you know because sometimes people will be like well I can't remember if that happened in you know 1947 or 1948 or or you know I can't remember if the car was you know this model or that model and and what i what i advise people is we're going for the greater truth you know a a deeper truth rather than the really specific little factoids
0: yes i i understand completely because people can get lost in the detail they want to get it just right um and they and they want to you know dig into that memory just to see if they can remember it just
1: right Right. And I think it's part of our job um, as as, you know, bearing witness to their story to give them permission to say, you can let that go. You don't because often, you know, when at least when I'm sitting down across from somebody doing an interview, you know, very often they will they will feel a little bit like they have to get it right. Almost like it's a almost like they're in school and, you know, they're writing a personal essay and it's up to us partially to give them permission to say, that's okay, you can let that go. Or if I ask them a question, and and they don't remember anything about it, then we, you know, it's like, let's just move on. Well,
0: um, sort of getting back to the how things developed, especially in Hendersonville, I, uh, I started teaching classes, and I discovered that (laughs) it was getting expensive to rent space, and teach. Um, I became a guided autobiographical instructor from the Biern Institute out in California and sort of developed my own series of classes based on that. And it got expensive to start renting space at these inns and trying to coordinate.
1: Time. Well, here, here, talk about that because okay. so you said that you started, um, you were doing them in coffee <laughs> shops and moved to doing what retreats, or was that just renting space in other businesses? It wasn't retreats
0: yet. It was um, eight week workshops. I would hold it once a week, um, and usually because we had so many bed and breakfasts in Hendersonville, uh, because it's near Asheville in North Carolina, it's near the Blue Ridge Mountains. We have a plethora of inns to choose from. So we had this beautiful inn in downtown Hendersonville that I could, um, I could rent space in, but it was eating up a lot of what could have been profit for me for the course. And I had found this sweet spot of what I could charge for the class. And I was toying with, you know, Oh, can I charge $400 a person for the class or should I charge $200 a person for the class? So I went through the you know what we all go through is what will the market sustain here mm-hmm. and who will I get in the class and how often can I hold it, um, and ended up with um, a, a pretty standard of you know two hundred ninety five dollars is um, what I've been charging for the the, the last bunch of years, and uh, that worked out well. But I thought you know if I had my own space I could stay later and talk to people because you know, telling story, it's a very personal thing. And people tend to want to stay and talk both to one another, because they develop relationships in these workshops. And to me, because several people wanted to continue after these eight weeks was over, they wanted to continue to finish a book of their own mm. memoir. And I wanted to encourage that. And I thought, well, if I only have my own space, so I started looking around town, And um, that's when I came up with this idea, since my daughter had been working for me part-time for several years um, as a college student, and then she was um, uh, just about ready to get married and go out on her own, uh, living in Hendersonville, I thought, well, would you like to join me full-time? I said, I think I can make this leap. I think I can get a business loan, and let's find a little space on Main Street and see what we can make happen. And uh, that's when I got my first space, and she's like, "Mom, you're crazy you You know you're you just moved out on your own. You're in the middle of a divorce. It was actually a very friendly divorce. and you're you're crazy." And I said, "But it's a it, look at this, I'm a fearless risk taker. You know this about me." And she's like, "Yes, I do." And it worked out really well. <laughs> it worked out so well. We outgrew the space in a year and a half um which is why i moved to a bigger space because all my clients kept saying you need a bigger space you you have to have bigger classes you need to be you know not downstairs you need to be on on the road where you could be seen better
1: um mm. and wait so so before here yeah, and before you before you move, so you're you're building up momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, uh, you know when you realize that you had outgrown the space. Did were you the only teacher, or did you have other yes. instructors with classes? I was the only
0: instructor, um, and Megan was my only only employee, and I was just. Um, finishing a memoir with a man who, who would become my partner. He, he had loved the process of the workshop so much. Uh, he became my first coaching client. And then my one of my first published books, um, I had become a publisher. Unbeknownst to me, I sort of stumbled into publishing as well. And this is how <laughs> I had stumbled into almost everything I had done. I, I didn't know I was a publisher until... I was congratulated on Facebook by um a marketing guru out in California I said, Go oh, congratulations to the cheerful word for um her their first um Amazon bestseller. And I said, wait a minute, what? Oh and my I, gosh. <laughs> and so that's how I was introduced in, to the publishing world. And I thought, okay, I just stumble into everything I do. And I thought, well now I ne- need to learn how to do this. So <laughs> I've spent the past several years learning how to become a publisher more properly, um, which I'll be launching uh, in just a few weeks, actually. Um, Now that I've got my hands around it, it was more complicated than I thought. (laughs) Even though he patted me on the back, I thought, Oh, we're clearly gonna have to have you on again. And
1: after after you get that up and running, because that is something I really want to hear about, too. Okay, so you're so at this point, you're you're teaching classes, um, and you had a coaching client. So, talk. Can you talk a little bit about that? What what does that look like? You're not actually doing the writing for him. So you're not sitting down, interviewing him, and then doing all the writing. He's doing the writing, but you are you are working one on one to coach him. Is that right? Yes, and I had not done that before. He said, "So what do you charge
0: to do this?" And I told him what my oh. hourly rate was at the time, and and he said. That's outrageous. And he walked out. Um, and then he called me three hours later and he said, Well, I've done a little research on the web, and actually, that's half of what everyone else charges. So I guess you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Let's work three times a month and see where this goes. And uh, hopefully, we can have this book published in three or four months. And I said, Okay, I'm not sure books get done that quickly from my research, they usually take three or four years to write a book, but I have not done this before either. So let's plan on six to eight months and see where that goes. And, uh, so yeah, we learned all about, you know, what being an editor and a coach feels like and, um, and his book did very, very well. He, he peddled it himself and, um, He's still out there pushing it on his own and it's on Amazon and it's, uh, he's been, um, equated to a Bill Bryson (laughs) of the Jewish community. Yeah. And people just love it. And, uh, so it, and so I stumbled into that as well. And it's, that's how my business has grown. I had been responding to what people wanted uh, Mm -hmm. and said they wanted, uh, because I thought, I just want to interview people and write the book on their behalf. That's really what I want to do. I want to do a bespoke memoir. And when having moved from Cary, North Carolina, to Hendersonville, that's not what my new market wanted at all. They wanted to do the writing. Largely, they were a retirement community. Um, and they wanted to do their own writing. They just wanted me to be their guide. Um, or as a couple of them have called me their doula, would you be my memoir doula? And I said, well, sure. I just have to figure this out because I don't have a service. I don't have a doula service for a memoir, but we'll figure this out. And, uh, so that's been sort of my business model. It's really not having a model, but it got I love that,
1: really- right? It's yeah. It's just like you're you're. It, it sounds like it grew very organically, rather than you know, because you hear a lot of um, business advice, and and I think, I think a lot of standard business advice does not particularly apply to the the industry that we are in, um, right. because. Standard business advice would be, you know, write up your business plan, have your mission statement, know exactly the population, you know, get the avatar, know the population that you want to serve Mm -hmm. and, um, and develop your services or your products. But what you did was you responded to the needs as they, as they, you know, hit your radar. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's fantastic. And clearly it was something that you must have enjoyed doing this, um, that, segwaying into the coaching. Is that right?
0: Yes. Yes and no. And what happened was I started to develop all these services based on what people came to me with. And they did tend to be my, the clients that I love to work with that, that all pretty much stayed the same. They're, they're still mostly women between, you know, uh, 55 to 75. Years old, Um, occasionally, uh, you know, a few men sprinkled in there, but mostly they're still my target audience, my ideal clients. But uh, how they like to work with me is still in this partnership mode. Um, Mm -hmm. So I've had to shift my thinking around how I want to work with people. And what most people don't know about me is that most of my time, my two and a half years in Hendersonville before I (laughs) left for Germany. Um, through all of that success, most people don't know that I was near homelessness mm. for most of that time. I moved six times in two and a half years. Um, and because I all of my money went into the business, every single oh. penny I made went into the business, and me and my little dog we went from house to house to friend's house to friend's house to living with my daughter for a few months to living with another friend for a few months to I got you know an exchange I did a memoir for somebody for six months to rent their place for six months and I did lots and and during that time I was um vice president of APH (laughs) And so you can look very, very successful and still be, um, you know, living hand to mouth. But it depends on what your definition of success is. And I consider I was never so happy in all my life. And people who knew me knew me to be very happy. If you followed me home, you would have seen my home to be wherever home was at the time. Was very neat, was very clean. And I was, I was very happy because I was doing what I loved for the first time in my life.
1: Mm. And
0: you know, you can hear people on TED Talks all day long and all these, what are they, goal cast? You see them on Facebook, all these goal cast speakers, you know, okay. the definition of success. It is true, it is absolutely true. If you are doing what you love. Uh, the money does eventually follow. Um, and thank goodness, because I wouldn't have been able to pay off all of those loans and debts had it not followed. But um, and nobody wants to be around somebody who's saying, Oh, my gosh, I'm in so much debt. I don't know what I'm going to mm-hmm. do. Or if you're freaking out all the time. That's not good for you know the mojo of your business. Um, but if you are And that's also why my business is called The Cheerful Word. So if you are cheerful, and I think this just comes from sort of a natural, (laughs) it's sort of who I am. My daughter will tell you, yeah, my mother, she wakes up on the right side of the bed every day and it (laughs) drives me crazy. I hated living at home because she'd wake up and she'd go, good morning, sunshine. You know, she's, she's that kind of person where she needs a couple of cups of coffee first (laughs) before she, any kinds of words come out of her mouth. She's like, no, she's like, you really are cheerful. And I don't know where you get that from, but good for you, mom, but leave the rest of us alone (laughs) for a little while. But it was, it's all worth it to me. It is all worth it. And my now husband, Fred said, I, I warned him. I said, you know, I come with a whole bunch of debt from this business. And he said, good for you. He said, keep it going. While we're in Germany, make sure you keep it going and just change whatever you need to change, refine whatever you need to refine, and don't stop doing what you love. I thought what a great attitude boy like, oh, to I have somebody the supportive right like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> okay, well we finish up um I I finish up tell it, tell us what happened when you moved to the bigger studio and then I do really want to get into talking about what you're doing now um particularly since you're in a foreign language market and i know that you had mentioned in a previous you know when we were emailing back and forth that you have your first german language book coming out so so let's wrap up the story about the studio um and what happened um with when you moved to the bigger one
0: well i moved to the bigger studio um when i got an offer and this was another sort of a barter deal one of the um local real estate owners, Um, he owns lots of business, lots of real estate in Hendersonville. He offered, um, he said, how about you get five months free rent in the up and coming historic district of Hendersonville, if you write my memoir for me? So, you know, not only was I living in some place for for a memoir, I was now renting my business space for a memoir for five months. And I thought, this is great. Well, I had no idea that I was going to have to do so much work to fix it up. But, and that was another $14,000. But it was wonderful because I got to know him and I got to know his story. And he connected me with all these people who came out to the space and said, I had no idea anything like this existed. And because they were fairly movers and shakers in town, they told people who told people who told people. And suddenly I had people wanting to rent the space to do their own uh, workshops. Mm. I had people wanting to come and do music there. I had people coming to you know set up... Um, they're like brewery workshops there because there's Hendersonville is um, like beer city USA. Now (laughs) Mm -hmm. we have lots of breweries and all of a sudden it became this hub of um, activity where on the, and on that very corner I was, my studio was located on a corner, Maple street and seventh Avenue, which just a few years before was where the police used to spend a lot of time, um, arresting prostitutes and drug addicts. So it did not have a great reputation, but it was very affordable after my <laughs> five months was up and, and it had been cleaned up and, uh, the town had taken over or the city had taken over one of the buildings and it was a train depot. So, people were meeting there, and it was beautifully painted, and all kinds of things were happening on Seventh Ave. And I thought, this is amazing. And now, if you look at Seventh Ave, all kinds of things are happening. And it's watching from Germany, I'm just so jealous and thinking, oh, I gave mm. up my spot. <laughs> but um, it was wonderful to see the community coming together. And I had just started um, interviewing. Um, homeless veterans, um, and I had plans to start interviewing women coming out of the sex trade um, up from Asheville. We're going to come down and start being interviewed um, free of charge. I was going to start working with a couple of organizations there. And so there was lots and lots of things, lots of moving parts uh, that were going to start happening uh, at the Cheerful Word on that corner when um several things happened. There was a huge rainstorm and the whole back half of the studio flooded. So I had to close for that. And we had to, um, we didn't have to fix part of the roof. We, it turns out we just had to sweep it, um, because there were a couple of things blocked on the roof. So we had to get somebody up there to sweep it. Um, and in doing so, we discovered all kinds of things that had to be fixed that I wouldn't, I wasn't going to be able to afford to fix on the building. And it was not the landlord's. um, I signed a kind of agreement where it was the occupant's Mm
1: -hmm. uh,
0: responsibility and not the landlord's. So I said, oh, Stuart, I'm going to have to um, bow out of my contract when it's up. And right at that same time, I had discovered that my business partner (laughs) um, had spent about $10,000 that I was unaware of Oh, Um, on a few things I had hired him when we went into partnership together, I thought he was going to take care of. And it turns out that he hired it out to be taken care of administratively. Mm -hmm. So I thought, okay, I've got some, uh, I've got some things to tend to now that I didn't think I would have to. So I said, I think it's time I just close the doors and let the lease run out, um, and pay for my my, my portion until, until that does so. And in the meantime, I had met Fred, uh, my now husband who said, Hey, I got a job in Germany. Would you like to go on an adventure? And I said, well, I just happened to have closed my life story studio. And that kind of bums me out. <laughs> so, so I've got four clients and I can do their work from where I am and or for, from wherever I am. And I just finished my last workshop. So now is a pretty good time. And my daughter just got married and she took a job elsewhere. So, yeah, let's go to Germany. (laughs) And if this love affair works out, um, yeah, we will get married. And it worked out and we got married on the 4th of July in 2016.
1: Oh, well, congratulations. Boy, (laughs) that sounds like a book in and of itself. Oh, I'll tell you. (laughs) So, so the, the four clients that you had, were they coaching clients or were you writing their book for them? Uh, three were coaching clients and one, I was writing uh, her book for her. And then what did that look like? You're in Germany now and they're back in the States. Were they all in Hendersonville? They were all in Hendersonville and we did all of our work over... Um, Skype at the time,
0: and then I've now switched to Zoom or uh, Facebook video, of
1: all things. It's free as long as you're Uh on a Wi-Fi. Who knew? Uh Uh-huh. And, and was that, um, were there some growing pains with that, shifting from in-person coaching sessions to, to doing it online? Not at all, because they were driving in from Saluda or
0: from the outskirts of Hendersonville. Mm-hmm. They all happened to live slightly out of town. They were very grateful to be able to work from home um, and not have to drive because they were in their 80s or 90s. All of them. Oh boy, yeah. And they said, "This is great. I can just make my cup of tea or have my glass of wine and meet with you from my computer screen, and not have to get in the car in any kind of bad weather." So this is wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, So they, we started seeing sort of the payoff of working virtually right away. There was no, um, there was no pushback at all, and I think and. And another one, I had never even met her. We had spoken on the phone the week before I left for Germany. And we didn't meet until um, two months ago when I came home for the birth of my grandson.
1: And oh, her, congratulations. And, and
0: her book was published the week before I came home. And, she, and that was the first time we'd ever met in person. <laughs> so that, oh, that's that was a lot of fun.
1: Now, with being you know, pretty firmly rooted for the time being in Germany, are you still working with people in the US? Are you still getting new clients? Or are you working mostly with people there? I I think your husband has something to he's a civilian working for uh, a military base. Is that correct? Yes, he's a retired army. um, And he's working as a
0: civilian for uh, the base here in Grafenwehr.
1: Um, and are you living? But you're living off base or on base? Off base. Oh, thankfully, yes. Off base. Yeah, yeah. So, who um, who are you working with now? And who are you trying like new clients? Are you working? Are you trying to get new clients from where you're living? I will be. I had actually decided because of all of that
0: busyness and um, excitement of responding to people when I moved to Hendersonville. And um, uh, some of my old friends used to co- love to call me the chaos addict, which I, I will I will own up to. Um, I responding to people's needs is is something that I do and something that I love. However, it can get me in trouble. And when people say, "Oh, can you do this for me? And can you coach me? Can you write this for me? Can you?" change your business to meet my needs this way. I had no problem saying yes, when I could see profit coming my way. What I didn't realize was that it was really, it was costing me my health over time. Because I was slowly doing things I wasn't enjoying as much as I was enjoying what I had gone into business to do, which was to help people write their life stories. I was responding in way and doing my business in ways that didn't feel as fun as it once did. And now I was, you know, I was doing cards and letters and all kinds of things. I had created this whole, um, I think I probably had 14 or 20 services and products at one point on my website. And I thought, why am I maintaining all of this? Well, Partly, it was because I had Megan, my daughter, on staff, and she was half of my brain. She did so much of my advertising and marketing and lots of client contact. And when she left, I couldn't do all of that work myself. Uh, So I thought, well, I can't do all of it. Neither do I enjoy it. (laughs) So I thought, now that I've moved to Germany, I'm going to finish up the, the four clients that I brought with me But I think I'm going to start scaling back and I'm going to refine what I'm doing. I'm going to continue to do what I do. I'm always going to write life stories. I'm always going to help people write their memoir in some way. But I want to do more writing of of my own story. and, And I want to simplify things again. I want to get back to really eliciting story in the way that really jazzes me. How can I do that? So I've taken the last uh, two or three months and, well, I've taken the last year and focused on my health and I've taken the last two or three months and been working with a web designer who helped me uh, see my services really, really clearly. She just asked me very pointed questions about, so why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? She said, so go back and go to your old website and get rid of all the pages that you don't want anymore, that you don't like to do anymore. Well, I got rid of 18 pages on my old website, and it left me with, I think, three. (laughs) I thought, oh, boy. She said, okay, so now you've got some content to write for me. She said, so what is it that you do? And I said, okay, so now I'm thinking. And, and it turns out to be what I initially went into business for, which is I really want to do retreats. I want to spend more mm. time with people, um, more contiguous time. Um, you remember how I was saying I run, you know, when I was back in uh, Hendersonville and I was meeting in those inns and I wanted to open my life story studio so I would have more time with people before and after the workshops? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I wanted to get back to. So I want to have retreats where I can spend five days with people and just be somewhere where we can spend that time together, really quality time together and write together and edit each other's work and just be there, not be in a hurry. No one's going anywhere. We'll take care of ourselves, take care of one another and have fun writing so I'll, I'm, my focus will be on retreats. I'll continue to do my workshops because I love to teach and I love my workshops. Um, they'll be slightly reinvented, but not by
1: much. Um, and now will you be offering workshops online or do you already? They will. Yes, they'll continue to be online um,
0: and probably mostly online through the army. I have to apply to get this home based business um, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, approval. And I that should come through in about three weeks now. So once I get that, I'll be able to go on post and advertise, or I can advertise on the Facebook pages that are associated with the army here. Um, and she didn't see any reason I wouldn't be approved. Um, there's lots and lots mm-hmm. of rules um, when you work associated with the army. <laughs>
1: Um, and then with the, with the online classes, do you find that very many people then, um, you know, they they start off writing with you on their own. Um, and then do many of them come to you as private coaching clients or do they come to you and say, Hey, I'm overwhelmed with this. Can you take over the writing portion and, you know, and, and help me finish it up?
0: Yes. And I will still be doing both of those, um, I'll, I'll take them down either the writing, the coaching path, um, or if they don't want to write their own, um, I'll, I will certainly do, um, you know, the, I'll write on their behalf, do, do the interviewing and writing their book.
1: Um, and have you done any of that, um, online or, you know, through zoom where, where you're actually interviewing people and they have no participation in the writing at all? Yes. Yes. I've done,
0: I think my first two books actually were done that way. My very first two books, way back when.
1: That's interesting. And that's something that I have not ventured into yet. I've, you know, I've, I've done out of town, I've done where I've gone out of town to meet somebody pers- in person to do the interviews. Um, and I did have one man that uh, we're working on two books together. And he came to me from Maine for several days, we did just, you know, day long interviews for several days. But I haven't ventured into the world of doing it um, over the computer screen, because I guess I've been a little afraid I, I didn't know what it would, you know, that the, the person, the dynamics of, of having communication like that. I wasn't sure how it worked, but apparently it, you do well with it. Yeah. The technology falls away
0: pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. The, the one thing I learned uh, rapidly because it was my, my very first, um, you know, I, it was one of those, I just said yes because someone asked me to, and I thought I was going to fly to Oregon to, to interview her parents. And she said, "Oh no, we don't have money to, to fly you out there or fly them here, but um, we want to get this done quickly." She said, "Can you just do it online on Skype?" And I just said, "Oh sure." I learned <laughs> do them one at a time. Like I had to make him leave the house to interview his wife, and she had to leave uh, the house for me to interview uh,
1: him. Yeah, yep. I've I've had that experience, but in person, oh, I, boy. I think it would be. <laughs> You have a little bit more of a challenge to say, oh, I see them behind you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that leave. was funny. <laughs> you had mentioned just briefly that you are a certified um, guided autobiography instructor, the, the Bieren, mm-hmm. um method. Can you just say a few things about that and whether or not you think it's, um, it's worthwhile for somebody to go through that training program if they're just getting into doing life stories? If you enjoy
0: teaching, and if you enjoy, um, yes, if you enjoy teaching a class, absolutely. It is a completely worthwhile endeavor. Um, they take, I was reinventing the wheel uh, and thought I was creating something brand new out of the sky. Um, I was I was probably three courses into, um, or three sessions into creating my own course when someone said, you know... There's this thing called the Bearden Institute. They are, already have all these classes. If you just take the course on train the trainer, um, they'll teach you how to use it, and they give you all the materials. And I went, oh, my gosh, of course. <laughs> so I signed up and started the next week. Uh, they happen to have one coming right up. And they are fabulous. I'm still in touch with Cheryl, and um, it's it's wonderful. I strongly recommend it. Um,
1: Now I've and just for people who don't know, they the it's funny that this is even coming up because I um I went online I don't maybe a month ago and James Birren was an academic Mm um and he did a lot of research in gerontology he did a lot of research in a lot of different areas but gerontology was one of them and um and the sort of studying the effects of memory of the effects of uh therapeutic reminiscence and, and things like that. And what's interesting is that both he and his wife did their own life story and you can download them. And, and I did, I haven't done hers yet, but I have his just because I'm always interested in seeing how people do life stories and, you know, always looking for models that I can steal from or, you know, see how people fit things together and, um, you know, and his, his his life story is definitely worth reading. It is very much in line with the types of books that we are doing for people or helping them do for themselves. Mm-hmm. So, and for you in your business, do you see yourself as falling in one camp or the other, or is it just a mixture of, of doing both of doing the writing for people and teaching them how to do it for themselves? Um, I
0: fall more into the camp of, uh, helping people teach, teaching people to write it for themselves. Um, that's probably where I, um, I get the most thrill these days. Mm-hmm. I it used to be, mm-hmm. back when I started out, I got the most thrill of writing it for people, um, and that's. But I think, um, and maybe because of the nature of the books that I've been writing, my last four books have been, um, have all been World War II books, and they've been very very heavy. Um, and they've all been, uh, people who grew up here in Germany, believe it or not, they're all Americans, but they were all people who grew up in Germany. Um, and, uh, so they're German Americans or Hungarian German Americans and suffered the hardships of World War II as children. And, uh, and I think I perhaps just got worn out from, um, writing three of them. And then Coaching on the fourth. And it's that fourth one that's coming out in a German language book uh, in a few months. Yeah. How did that work? Uh, Well, yeah, this will be the first one that I can't really read word for word. I know some German, but (laughs) I won't be able to edit this one (laughs) in the end. But I'm relying on a German editor um, who actually lives in Ireland at this this point. So the whole book (laughs) is being done online (laughs) from...
1: Our virtual world. Isn't that great? So so, so the book, you wrote the book in English, and then you had it translated. Is that is that how uh, it worked? The author is Charlotte
0: Self. Um, she wrote the book. I coached her um, in the writing of this book um, called The Hitler Years Through the Eyes of a Child. And she's in Hendersonville. So she wrote two editions. And now the German language edition is coming out
1: here. I'm thinking probably in July. When you publish, um, are you doing all of this through Amazon or yes. um, are you doing printing? And, okay, so you're not doing in house printing and buying. No, no, okay. no. This is all okay. being
0: done through um,
1: Amazon. Well, wait. What did what do your friends call you? The the chaos, the chaos uh, magnet. <laughs> what did you say? So, I, I, the chaos <laughs> addict. Yeah, I, I can see what. What the heck? A little, you know, a Smythe stone, you know, binder in here. <laughs> if people want to reach you, where can they find you? And what kind of services, or what what services will you be offering in the near future? If somebody is looking to to um, you know build their skills. I'll be offering
0: retreats, uh, writing retreats, um, both here in Germany and in uh, Western North Carolina. So if somebody wants to take a nice trip, uh, they can spend a week here in Germany. That would be fun. Um, And I'll be doing online workshops. And I also um, am embracing my boutique publisher hat. So if they want to publish their memoir, they can do it through The Cheerful Word. And they can find me at www.CheerfulWord.com. And I'll have my new website up probably in about three weeks.
1: Probably by the time this airs, it will already be up. Wonderful. Sam, thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences. I like how you talked about the good, the bad, the ugly, the pretty. <laughs> um, you know, I, I want people to recognize if they're serious about going into life, you know, becoming a life story professional as as a business, as a career. You know, there it's it's not all fun and games. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to spend your time. Um, but we have to, just like with any other business, we have to know when to. Uh, when things are going right, how to keep them going that way. And when they're not how to pivot and and change direction. So I I appreciate all of the how you were forthright in talking about the things that you've experienced. And I wish you much luck as you go forward. Thank you very much. And that does it for our interview with Sam Yule. You can find links to Sam's website, to the course on guided autobiography through the Bieren Center, and a few of the other things that we mentioned. Just head over to the show notes for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I hope that it gave you some ideas that you might implement in your own business. If you have feedback or any questions about the episode, go to the show notes and share them in the comments. And if today's episode was helpful, the best way you can return the favor is to leave us a review on iTunes. I'm Amy Woods Butler, personal historian and life story writer, and your coach for building your own professional life story business. Now go out and save someone's story.